Welcome to the Phone Booth Fighting Podcast, everybody. I am Richard Hunter. He is Frank Muir. You know that by now. We do this twice a week for you. The podcast available in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, PhoneBoothFighting.com, if you can't remember any of those platforms, and a whole bunch of other ones that I know you guys uh, use. I know that all too well now after a couple of weeks of uh, having issues with our RSS feed. I won't uh, bore everybody with a bunch of technical jargon and and, um, dialogue about that, but I'll just let you know that everything is supposed to be fixed as of now. Now, obviously, if you're hearing this one way or another, you got the podcast, so you're probably not any of the people having the problems. But if you know anybody that is, uh, please refer them to us. Tell them to message us on social media, and uh, we'll get it figured out. But uh, thanks to Davey, our uh, Irish canadian listener who did uh, an awesome job of our website redesign and uh helping us with that stuff i think we've gotten all that uh technical stuff worked out but uh, you can always if for some reason i've learned this uh frank over the last uh, couple of weeks if for some reason uh your phone booth fighting episodes are still not downloading with regularity the way that they're supposed to be you can unsubscribe and resubscribe and sometimes that kicks it into gear so keep that in mind but don't do one and not the other don't unsubscribe and then immediately forget to resubscribe that would be terrible so if you're going to do one uh please folks make sure you do the other phone booth fighting shop.com is the website to get your official phone booth fighting merchandise all of which makes a fantabulous Christmas gift. We've got uh, phone booth fighting t-shirts, multiple styles, multiple colors. We've also got uh, autographed vintage uh, fight style posters for the podcast that you can get. And uh, those all get mailed directly out of our fulfillment center, which is also known as my garage. (laughs) So we'll get those to you. All right, Frank, uh, we got a couple things to talk about. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to talk, we didn't even get to this uh, on the first episode of this week, and we got an Ultimate Fighter card to talk about. So uh, we're going to start with that. I was out at media today. I got a bunch of audio from uh, uh, the, the main fighters involved. Uh, of course, Saturday night is the Ultimate Fighter Tournament of Champions live finale. Uh, Demetrius Johnson puts his flyweight title on the line against the guy that we now know as the winner winner of this season's ultimate fighter, Tim Elliott. Uh, and in addition, the coaches are fighting Joe Benavidez and Henry Cejudo. And then there's a very compelling feature bout, a uh, welterweight matchup between uh, Jake the Juggernaut Ellenberger and gamebred George Masvidal. So before I get to the audio of uh, my conversations with most of those guys from earlier today at the Palms Casino here in Las Vegas, I also want to, uh, Frank, don't let me forget before we wrap here, I want to get your thoughts on the UFC stripping Conor McGregor of one of his two titles. He's now been officially stripped of the featherweight title. So uh, just hold that thought. We'll get to that before the conclusion of the show. But first off, kicking it off. Uh, you heard my uh, quick phone conversation with Joe Benavidez last night, but I met up with him in person. If you were listening to the last episode, we left with a cliffhanger uh, with Joe. I said I was going to ask him today. I was going to give him 24 hours to think about it, and I was going to ask him uh, if he had an answer for Henry Cejudo's question of whether or not Joe Benavidez is a role model. That was a recurring uh, question that Henry Cejudo seemed to keep uh, posing on this season's Ultimate Fighter. Really, Frank sort of questioning whether or not Benavidez could be considered a role model. And then I also clarified, I don't know if you heard about this yet or you happen to see it, Joe Benavidez made a particularly sensational uh, taunt Threat, uh, promise, uh, reference, I don't know what you'd call it, but something at the very end of the broadcast last night, the last episode of the Ultimate Fighter Tournament of Champions, that really got the internet a buzz. Uh, something along the lines of, did he just say what I think I thought I heard him say, Joan Benavidez, to Henry Cejudo? And you will hear me clarify exactly what was said and uh, by Joe Benavidez and exactly what he meant by it. 
Also in the background uh, on the podcast, just so you know, it's Christmas time here at Stately Mirror Manor. So uh, uh, Mrs. Mirror is busy uh, getting all the Christmas decorations uh, up with her with her uh, trusty helpers, and it's looking. Boy, it's all out here on Halloween, or uh, it's for a holiday, I should say. It was all out for here on Halloween. Halloween decorations come down. As quickly as those come down, Christmas goes up. Switches over fast. That's right. Quicker than a uh, mainstream department store in here. (laughs) They do not miss a beat. All right, let's hear from Joe Benavides, Frank. I think you're going to find one particular aspect of this uh, particularly interesting. Okay, all right, Joe. It's been been 24 hours. I asked you yesterday. You're, you're home. The, the burning question of uh, Ultimate Fighter Tournament of Champions. Henry Cejudo posed it. Is Joe Benavidez a role model? You know what? To find the answer to that, you would actually have to ask somebody else, because anyone who's a role model doesn't claim or shout out that they're role models, right? I mean, I've never heard it besides Cejudo, so that should tell you everything. You know, unless you're, like, trying to talk somebody into something or you're, like, missing something or insecure. But I don't know. But, you know, like, no one that's a role model is like, yeah, I think I am a role model. I think I inspire people. You just do it. You be yourself and you do it or not. So you have to ask people I feel about it. You know, I'm not going to go around saying I am because that's, I don't know. I would say the answer to that question makes you a role model in passive aggression, so I'm impressed. Yeah, something. Yeah, but, yeah, that's how I feel. Ask other people that maybe, you know, would would look up to me or something. Who knows? Can you uh, can you clarify what was said between you and Cejudo on uh, the last episode of The Ultimate Fighter last night that's been talked about when he leaves the cage and you tell him something about high school? Oh, yeah, I told him I used to fuck guys like him in high school. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I actually think that is a much more uh, intimidating uh, uh, claim than you know I, I used to push guys around. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. All right. I'm just clarifying. That's that's Was what that I just caught up in the moment. All right. Back to Joe in a second, Frank. But uh, your <laughs> thoughts? No, that's some some pretty uh, aggressive uh, shit talking there. Um, uh, obviously, it's uh, you know uh, he doesn't have to worry about any fears of whether or not it's going to get him in any trouble because the UFC edited it and played it, and they had many many you know weeks, yeah. months to sit on that uh, before they released it. So uh, yeah, that's that's pretty uh, some strong words, and uh, yeah, it opens up so many other questions. I know <laughs> it's not. I'll tell you this: it's not what I want to hear said in my ear when you've got my back. Yeah, that uh, that that. Kind of is the ultimate taunt of, uh, uh, especially I think amongst masculine men. Yeah, you know uh, that jailhouse kind of mentality that <laughs> yeah. at the end of the day I'm going to fuck you um, is much worse than kicking your ass. I mean, I think yeah. most guys uh, would agree, and <laughs> that I would much rather get my ass handed to me than someone handle my ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I uh, second that emotion. I I thought that in the 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 genius of the nuance in the the taunt. I thought Frank is that you're really just one one syllable word away from a different version of that so like when you hear it said and it wasn't like right on the mic you know it was one of those kind of like uh it was a wide shot and the microphone picked it up but it was kind of like did did i he say what i thought he said the natural assumption is that he said i used to fuck uh i, I used to uh uh fuck guys like you up in high school or fuck up guys like you like that's what I thought he might have said at first. Right. In turn, I mean, just in a, yeah, catch like, the kick his ass, right? So you leave out up, <laughs> and it just changes the whole dynamic very drastically. Yeah, and I thought maybe you know from Joe adds I was, a lot of intensity to it. It does, and I thought you know I was going to hear Joe say, "Oh yeah, you know I I I either." Misstated it, or you know, I said, I said up. You didn't hear up. I said up, and he's like, "Nope, that is what I told him." <laughs> I think, uh, as far as uh, fights on this card, I mean, I was at the uh, stare downs, 
and uh, uh, the face-offs. And, you know, Demetrius and uh, Tim Elliott were, were very uh, cordial. And even, even Jorge Masvidal and, and Jake Ellenberger, who, you know, Masvidal is always all business. I don't think there's any animosity between the two guys. Other than the fact, they're going to put on a great fight. But, uh, yeah, Cejudo and... Uh, uh, and Benavides really do not like each other, and they they really uh, they were the real points of contention during this season of the Ultimate Fighter. I think it's good; it adds to it. Uh, you know, I, there are fans out there that need that, and you know, and I think that sometimes Demetrius Johnson doesn't necessarily bring that to the table, that drama, that animosity, yeah. that shit talking. You know, he's very much more of a uh, you know a gamer. You know, you're going to get what the cage door closes. That's what we're going to experience, and that's what if you enjoy that aspect of the game, you know, you're in for a show with uh, DJ. But if you want that, you know, uh, cans being thrown or guys shoving each other and tossing shoes into the lobby, um, you're not going to get that with DJ. But you know, uh, Cejudo and. Um, um, Benavides, Benavides, uh, definitely are bringing that to the table, and and it's great to see that it's not forced, you know. And that's the only time, you know, if it's it's legitimate and on their part, I think it adds because on average, most MMA guys are not great actors, so the fact that it legitimately they don't like each other, I think, would make for a very exciting fight. Yeah, I think so too. Let's hear a little more from uh, Joe Benavides here at uh, Ultimate Fighter Finale Media Day. For the guys that ultimately came up short of winning everything but are now going to be pleading their cases that they too should be UFC fighters, we've seen situations in the past where somebody comes, they're a dark horse, a lot, a lot is known about them, and they end up overachieving. But in uh, this this season's case, and I'm thinking specifically of Alex Shelton, a guy who comes from a smaller organization, the, it seems like the seeding in the tournament helps to quantify that because there's a number attached to it. So you can look back on it and go, hey, he was a 15 seed, and he beat this guy, and he beat that guy. Do you think in terms of pleading a case for a guy like that to come to the UFC that having those numbers, tournament numbers attached to him helps that? Yeah, the numbers are always cool. Like, you can't pay attention to them, but yet you have to pay attention to them in one way or the other. You always said, like, hey, guys, numbers don't matter. They pick these numbers or whatever. But it always does give you that thing, just like when you're watching... You know, when you tune to the channel and turn college football, you might not watch it if there's no numbers by it, but you're like, oh, this is a number eight and seven? I didn't know that. Check these guys out or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely helps. You know, the I think it helped him shine even more on the show, seeing him as a 15, a low seed, not expecting anything out of him, and going in and have the tournament that he had, you know, beating the number two seed, beating a jiu-jitsu black belt, you know, to a lot of people questionably beating Tim Elliott or at least, you know, deserving a third round on that fight. So I think he really shined on that show. The 15 seeds just makes it that much more, I think, endearing to the people and motivational to to the people. I mean, everyone loves an underdog and, and, you know, dark horse like Eric was on the show. So, yeah, man, I think that's that's huge, you know, that he was the 15 and went out and did what he did. Um, You know, maybe wouldn't have been as, you know, drastic if he was a higher seed or something, but... For the fact how he went out and did that, from unknown, basically, to doing what he did, and, you know, fighting a guy like Tim Elliott in his last fight and giving him hell um, was amazing, you know. That guy, I have, you know, so much respect for him, so inspired by him. We've been trained together, and he actually now signed a fight with the UFC in Denver. So uh, look forward for big things from him. You're a respected veteran voice. What uh, what were your thoughts on the announcement about the Fighters Association forming yesterday? Oh, honestly, I just saw it briefly. So I can even, I wouldn't even say I have, I know enough to comment on it. I don't really know what it is. I don't know if it's just like a, I don't know. Like, if, is it official? Is it a warning? Is it just like, hey, we're trying to do this? Is Was it a meeting? Is it an actual thing? I don't, I guess I don't know enough to, I'm not educated enough to comment on it and what it is. So I just saw the group of people, uh, I guess, taking a stand for a fighters union and, um, I guess I don't really know the details from there. So There was a lot of that going around, by the way, uh, on the Fighter uh, Association news yesterday as far as, you know, I don't, I haven't really looked into it yet. I don't really know enough. And, you know, in fairness, these guys have fights to prepare for, so uh, maybe their focus is elsewhere. But it's still, it's an interesting topic, a conversation that maybe we can get into. But first, uh, Frank, your thoughts on... The fact that, and I, I, I called him uh, Alex Shelton, I, it's Eric Shelton, uh, that was on Team Benavides, but he was one of these guys that made it to the Final Four 
that was a 15 seed in this tournament. He was from a organization I think they would call Caged Aggression. Um, just an organization I wasn't really familiar with, wasn't familiar with him, as opposed to some of these other names that you knew, like Tim Elliott, some of these other organizations like Legacy and RFA and things like that. And it does seem that when you get a guy that's going to outkick his coverage, to use a football analogy, that it does help when you have those seeded numbers uh, attached to him. Everybody can go, wow, you were a 15 seed in this tournament. You made it all the way to the Final Four. Yeah, that's the upside to it. And I think that, you know, Benavides is right in that assessment that when you put numbers on it, people like, you know, humans, you know, especially Americans, we're just fascinated with rankings and numbers. And, I mean, you turn on a baseball game and it's nothing but a mathematical equation back and forth and stats. And um, so the more that we can do that with fighting, and I think the more interesting it creates it. And I think that, you know, for someone to click on there and see a guy performing, it adds that much more momentum to it because you're right. A guy in the final four who was basically second to last coming into the tournament ranking-wise, I think adds intrigue. And then you might go back and look and go, oh, you know, how did he get here? Was it, you know, was it really because he was unknown? Did he make improvements? And uh, it just adds that much more diversity to the situation. Shall we hear from the champ, Demetrius Johnson? Always. Let's do that. Richard Hunter being joined by the UFC flyweight champion, pound for pound, best fighter in mixed martial arts, and most importantly, good friend of phone booth fighting, uh, Demetrius Damn, Mighty Mouse Johnson. How you doing, man? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. What a what an interesting, uh, unique scenario for Saturday night. I mean, you, you've been in this spot, what, eight times before, but uh, this time uh, it what, we watched the whole thing play out on television. Uh, they had to go through a tournament to, to get to you, and uh, you actually had the ability to kind of watch somebody, I guess, in real time over a matter of a couple of months, make their progression to, to your title. So maybe either from your perspective or from Matt Hume's perspective, did that help at all, the fact that you were able to observe a little more closely somebody's more recent path? You know, it's kind of hard to say. You know, if a guy like Eric Shelton would have won it, or Hiramasa would have won it. Well, not Hiramasa, but Eric Shelton. The guys who really haven't been on a bigger scene, yeah. then it would be a little more helpful because you can actually sit there and watch every single fight. You know, if I went on the internet right now, I'm, actually you can't find some of Eric Shelton's fights out there, I believe. So, um, we really didn't look into the show. You know, we take the show away from everything. Mm-hmm. The show didn't even exist. It doesn't exist anymore. The show's done. It's over. It's scrapped. It's done. My opponent is Tim Elliott. He had a, a, group, a, a, a great run to get there, and now we're just going to go out there fight see what happens. Tim Elliott, uh, the only thing he's really revealed about his strategy for you on Saturday night is that he, he's going to employ his signature grittiness. I think he even used the term bar fight last night on uh, 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 fight, uh, Tough Talk. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Do, well, I guess, first of all, two part, do you feel like you faced a fighter who's tried to do that sort of thing with you before? And two, how do you think that game plan works against you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, people have done that to me before to try to overwhelm me, to smother me, which is perfect because he does have to work for me. I don't have to go find him. I don't have to cross distance, you know. I'm able to get him in my clinch. I'm able to use my wrestling. You know, you look at guys like, you know, a guy like Zach McCroskey, where he fought. Zach McCroskey able to keep the distance, take it down at will, pass his guard, get him in crucifix. So, which is perfect because I have all the, the same abilities that Zach McCroskey has, but times 10. Um, so, I, I fought in the heat of the battle. I fought guys with great power like John Dotson. Um, so, it's, it's not, it's not going to be anything I haven't seen before. Um, and you just got to make sure everybody's ready to go after it. And lastly for you, you know, when, when it's said and done, you're retired, you're in the UFC Hall of Fame, you're going to be looked at as the godfather of this division, the real pioneer uh, as the first champion and, and so long reigning. Uh, in that being in that position, did it do you proud, the fact that this flyweight season was not only one of the most exciting seasons that we've seen, but every uh, fight in the first uh, uh, round was a finish, you know, that there was a lot of really exciting compelling uh, uh, action in this season. Did that just, you know, apart from who you were going to be fighting, how did that make you feel as a pioneering flyer? I, I think it, I'm glad that USC did it because he, he, the, the tough needed a new spice. You know, it needed to see actual guys who are competing who are champions, not just a random guy who's been at the gym who's 6-0 at an amateur level or a, a re- regional pro. You know, these were the regional champions. Um, so I, I thought it was a good thing. You saw a lot of high-class athletes and a lot of high-class um, uh, skill set. DJ uh, Frank says, good luck, told me to tell you, and uh, we'll see you on the show soon. Awesome. Thank you, Frank. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. 
So there's the champ, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Uh, first of all, Frank, your your thoughts about you know what he says about uh, Tim Elliott's proposed game plan for this fight? That Elliott is saying, uh, you know, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to make it a bar fight, I'm going to make it ugly, I'm going to neutralize technique. Um, maybe that is his best option, but how well do you think that works against Demetrius? Uh, I think it's hard because of the speed difference. Um, Demetrius has phenomenal speed. He's the fastest guy probably in the whole UFC, and he doesn't get tired. So it isn't like, okay, I got a guy who's quick in front of me, and I could just keep stalking him down, and I might lose a round or two coming towards him and get outpointed, but eventually I'm going to be able to get my hands on him and wear him down and, and, and break down that speed and get him tired. Uh, Demetrius, I think, holds the record for the latest, uh, you know, uh, submission. In, in yes, a, he does. Four minutes and fifty nine seconds in the fifth round. It will never be beaten. It can only be tied. Yeah. So, <laughs> that being said, a guy still has enough, you know, uh, ump to go after a submission that late in a fight. You know, basically one second left in a five round fight. So cardio and speed are just two areas that just, you know, he has in such abundance and he's such a technical fighter that at this point, um, you know, uh, if I had to, you know, formulate what could beat uh, Demetrius, I'm like, well, you know, somebody like Dodson, I think still poses probably the greatest threat of everybody in the, uh, in the flyweight division because he hits hard enough, you know, with hits with such power and, you know, and he has speed himself that maybe you can catch Demetrius, you know, yeah. land a good shot. And then when you do land one, because you're not going to land a lot on him. He's not somebody you can constantly use accumulative damage on. He's somebody that, you know, if you're going to land a shot, you have to make sure that shot is extremely powerful. And I just don't see that with Tim Elliott. Um, you know, the guy's punching power is just not his strong suit. So I think that really, uh, you know, he's at a great disadvantage. I, I really don't see how, you know, I think he's a good wrestler. I think he has great jiu-jitsu. Um, but to go out there and try to just grind on um, DJ, DJ would have to completely stop moving his feet, stand in front of him, and we've never seen that. I've never seen Demetrius with anybody uh, stop moving. Yeah. Yeah, I think that obviously – Demetrius is going to go into this fight as a heavy favorite, and that's the case with a number of his fights these days. But I think from a a pageantry aspect, in terms of the way that this fight came together, I, I still think it it's it's good and it's right in the sense that you know Demetrius had cleaned out a division. We talked about this on the last episode. Uh, he had beaten pretty much. Uh, any of the, the contenders in the top 10, some of them more than once, the UFC actually had to go outside of the organization to find someone to fight him. So if it's going to be Tim Elliott, I think if, I guess what I'm saying is if we're going to have to be talking about somebody who may be a sizable underdog to Demetrius, I think it's maybe good for a change that we're talking about somebody outside of the organization who, unless it's a longtime UFC fan who has followed the flyweight division pretty closely to remember Tim Elliott from his first run, that it's, it's, it's at least somewhat of an unknown, maybe more so than somebody that we had just recently seen, uh, seen fighting in uh, flyweight prelims. Well, I think also, too, really the, the real winner of the whole uh – you know, a whole reality show that we've done is the the twenty five pound weight class in its entirety. Agreed. Yes, I, I think it's brought yes. more attention, and, and now we've created more names because before, yeah, basically you were creating one name at a time, and then bit, pitting that person against uh, Demetrius. Then Demetrius goes and kicks that guy's ass, and now it's like, all right, well, who's next? Then you would build up somebody, and then at the end they ran into Demetrius Johnson. And so I think we were kind of losing a little bit of uh, enthusiasm for the flightweight class. It's like, well, it's basically one guy. Yeah. And I think now, at the end of this, I think that it has expanded the flyweight class that, you know, you know, not to be a dick, but I really don't see Tim Elliott even making it to the end of this fight with uh, Demetrius Johnson. I think that, you know, Demetrius just on a different level than everybody else. Uh, that's why we talk about him being the best fighter pound for pound in the world. And it's not just because, you know, I'm friends with the guy, but I'm just looking at his numbers on what he's capable of, what he has accomplished so far. It's just hard to make an argument. And, and, and I haven't even really seen anybody on, on, uh, 
in any kind of forum really establish a legitimate chink in Demetrius's armor. It's like, well, but he's not good here off his back, or he's not going to be good against the cage, or his takedowns, or his ability to block the takedowns, his hand speed, his hand power. Yeah. It's like, I mean, he knocked out Joe Benavides. He's you know faster than you know john dotson and you know he's just the most technical guy <laughs> footwork yeah. wise it's like you know i mean every sport we get our michael jordans and i really feel that you know the flyweight class that's who uh demetrius is he's the michael jordan of uh fighting right now just you know, just on a different level i mean he can have a bad day or get caught you know uh but as far as somebody soundly saying that they're going to be able to be better than him um we don't see but it, it worked almost to the detriment of the whole flyweight class because it's like, all right, you know, who, who cares about the weight division? And now the fact that we have so many different names and enthusiasm behind it, you know, see a lot more people, uh, I think, having uh, more of an interest in the fights that occur at that weight class. You do bring up a great point uh, also in that, um, you know, this has been a season where, unlike some previous seasons where you get a winner and then maybe we have a conversation about one or two other people that we saw, you know, and we go, yeah, you know, they could probably uh, have a run in the UFC. You could, you would have a shorter conversation talking about the guys from this season who don't belong in the UFC, you know, who, well, maybe with that guy needs a little seasoning. But I mean, the fact that uh, the bracket was so competitive and even the final fight, listen, I mean, uh, I haven't given any credit yet to uh, uh, Hiro Masa from last night. This guy, although he lost a 30-27 fight, as you know, all 30-27 fights are not created equal. No. Every, every one of these rounds was competitive. That is, on a side note, something that drives me nuts about our judging system. That You know, you can sit there and a fight can be just, you know, uh, to the wire. And a guy, you know, and you hear fans say that. Well, I, don't, I can't believe it was thirty twenty seven. I'm like, wow, that just means that the guy just barely won each round, mm-hmm. you know. And, and vice versa. I think the other reason why people get so confused with fights that way is because they'll see a fight where it's, you know, I can come out and basically destroy somebody, and if the next two rounds they barely beat me, they win the fight, you know, yeah. in a three round fight. And I think that confuses fans too. But uh, yeah, speaking about hero, the guy, uh, everybody. Pretty much that on the show, I think could be on a flyweight contract with the UFC. I'd be hard pressed, really. You're right to sit there and name one guy. It's like ah, he absolutely does not belong in the UFC. And I think a number of them, consequently, will get UFC contracts. And uh, I, I think that there will be other discussions about these guys and their chances against Demetrius. I didn't, I didn't see anybody this season that I that I immediately thought, uh oh, you know, uh, the pound for pound king is in trouble. But that being said, we've kind of exhausted a lot of conversations in the flyweight division about the knowns. So at least now we've got the infusion of some unknowns. Yes, I agree with you. And uh, again, I think it just it just recreated the, the flyweight class. It's no longer just a, a one guy division. And you can make other fights now that are interesting. I mean, for example, Joseph Benavides fighting Henry Cejudo. It's not for a title, and it's interesting. You know, it's yeah. oh, okay. Well, you know, both guys have lost to Demetrius, so you know, conversations about whether a win here puts them in a title contingency and what that actually means. But the fight itself garners interest not so much the elements of what it could lead to a title shot and what it means to to Demetrius but just who wins between these two guys and i think that's what you know the division needs and you see that in the other weight classes where two guys fight each other and yeah there's always talk about where this positions them in the division but the fight itself you know garners interest and attention from people because you want to see those two guys that have names that have fan base face off against each other yeah it uh you know also in the case of uh my conversation with Demetrius there just talking about you know what what this meant this season in terms of an overall representation to the flyweight division uh not only did it inject some new names but i think it showed the prowess of of guys that weigh 125 pounds at least when you get the best in the world together that it may not be the uh, snoozer of a division that I think some people have unfairly characterized it as at times. 
Well, and that's crazy to me because, you know, at the same time that people want to watch heavyweights and I feel more than happy uh, bashing my division. But more often than not, I think the flyweight class is more exciting to watch than a heavyweight match. I think that, um, you know, you see more skill. You see guys moving around and so much more technique. When And gas tanks are a lot higher. Who wants to watch two guys get tired, which inevitably happens with the heavier men where the lighter guys – they seem to have no limit to how you know long they can fight for and against each other. So, uh, you know, I'm glad that the, the, the flyweight class is going to be woken up. You know, as far as to you know uh, the general population, but uh, you know, rightfully so. Case in point, uh, we're halfway through this podcast. Uh, my uh, lightweight division self is sitting up. Your heavyweight ass is laying down. <laughs> You didn't even make it halfway through the podcast. I didn't even start off the podcast. No, that's true. You didn't. You start. You tried to pull guard. Is what you did. I did. You tried to lure me to the ground, and I'm I'm not having it. I no. I'm aware of your submission history. Yeah. A little bit of traveling. Uh, some germs have been exposed to. That's right. And speaking of uh, of of broken limbs and broken ornaments. Mrs. Mir, halfway through the podcast, what is the broken ornament count? I think I've counted three at least. <laughs> Where are we at? I think you're right. Three is what three. I'm Three. I hit it. I hit the number on the head. Oh, each one's like a shattered memory. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, not a memory. It's a, it's a dollar amount. Oh, it's... <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. So, don't say it out loud. I'll start crying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, so there's also uh, going to be a very compelling feature attraction on the card tomorrow night, Frank. Jake Ellenberger and Jorge Masvidal, a couple of veterans. I talked to Jake Ellenberger. Man, this is a guy who was, I mean, beyond on the verge of getting cut. He was actually briefly cut by the UFC before his last fight where he became the first guy to ever finish Matt Brown. I don't know if you heard that story or not, but he as I understand it, had been notified that he was no longer with the organization. And he went to Dana White, personally asked for another fight. Uh, they gave him Matt Brown, and uh, he upset the immortal one. And so uh, here's me talking to Jake not only about that, but about his fight Saturday night with uh, gamebred George Masvidal. Jake, the juggernaut Ellenberger, who's uh, on the card Saturday night. It seems like, Jake, that with these uh, ultimate fighter finales, there's uh, you know the finalist fight, there's the coach's fight, but there's always this one fight that it seems like the matchmakers put on the card that they know that just seems like a guaranteed lock uh, barn burner of a fight. And I think you're in that spot uh, Saturday night against uh, Jorge Masvidal. Did it look that way to you when it was offered? Yeah, yeah, I've I've known this, you know, this uh, this fight's been offered to me a couple of different times, but uh, yeah, the timing finally worked out. But yeah, I think they throw they throw good fights on, you know, like there's always some uh, kind of some sleeper fights or on a card. I mean, you know, you're not the not the biggest card, but I, it doesn't doesn't matter to me, you know. I got I got a job to do, but um, yeah, absolutely. You know, you got two veterans, and uh, you know, one guy's gonna come out their hand raised. You you're coming off such a, a tremendous uh, you know career resurrecting fight if that's not too strong of a term uh, beating Matt Brown being the, the first guy to, to finish him I believe um, I, I know a lot was said after that fight about where you were at mentally and I believe there was a story that you had gone to Dana White said look give me another fight let me let me see what I can do here uh, where you know as, as you look back on that now that a little time has has passed from that moment does it quantify as one of the, the biggest important moments of your career oh uh, yes I mean it's it's definitely one of those uh, one of those kind of career defining moments absolutely I mean I've yeah I've been fighting for in the UFC like seven years now and um Excuse me, and if you know, I fought some of the best guys as well. But uh, yeah, it, you know, Brown being definitely being one of those guys, one of the toughest guys, you know, in the game. But uh, um, you know, I, I try not to look too far in the future or too far in the back. I mean, to, to be honest, I, I really don't look in the rearview mirror at all. Like it's you know, we, we can everything in the past is just what we can use to to learn. Um, that's really what the, what the, the, the memory is is, is to, to learn from it and. Uh, no, it just gives me that much more confidence moving forward, you know, in in, uh, in my career. But yeah, it's, it was definitely uh, an extremely important fight, to say the least. 
It seems like in uh, Jorge Masvidal, your opponent on Saturday, that's another guy who's kind of cut from that same type of cloth as uh, as Matt Brown, just that gritty veteran, uh, uh, you know, hard hard guy to, to, to put down. Where do you put him in the perspective of that, that pantheon with that type of fighter? you think that's a fair characterization? Yeah, he's, you know, he's a veteran like myself. He's, he's, he's showing, you know, he's showing he's tough, but, uh, it, you know, honestly, that, that quality doesn't go very far these days. Everybody in the sport is tough, you know what I mean? I, I could, I could, I could name, uh, you know, hundreds of guys, not even in the UFC that are tough, but, um, you know, for me, it comes down to strategy and execution. Everybody is, uh, it, you know, has a, has a, can be in great shape, great trained, um, but it comes down to execution. You know, that's really all it comes down to is, is who's going to be better the night when it matters. This is maybe a little bit of an anecdotal point, but you have always struck me throughout your career as a guy that when you bounced back from uh, a setback, that it seemed like in terms of the, the public eye and the fans' perspective, you could bounce back a little faster and a little further than some other guys. Uh, just kind of be right back in that conversation and the exciting fights. What, it, it, one, do you agree with that? And did two, if you do, what, what do you attribute that to? Yeah, well, I would agree to that. I mean, I think, I think it's... Um, you know, it, it's definitely an advantage. I would say it's it's such an emotional sport, and or I say emotionally driven. And you know, people get like I said, you can't you can't play too much on your hand. I mean, a win is fantastic, and if you can learn, if you can win and learn from it at the same time, even better. But uh, you can't put too much too much into 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 one result, if that makes sense. I mean, I've I've been on both sides. Um, I've had a you know had I've definitely had setbacks, and and it, it moved forward from that learning, but. Again, cutting your losses as fast as you can, and, and moving forward is the best thing you can do. So that's you know, for me, I, you, same thing with a you know a big win. You can't, you can't don't be holding your breath. It's it's you know it's time to use that. Keep moving forward, and, and like you said, use it as momentum. What's your take on uh, Jake Ellenberger, Frank? You know, he's a guy who possesses uh, power in his hands for the division. But he's also a guy who, you know, Masvidal had a knock on him. Uh, I was actually listening to uh, Masvidal on uh, MMA Junkie, our uh, our friends uh, Gorgeous George and, and Goza's show. And Masvidal said, well, you know, of the two of us, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a, 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 a firefight. But of the two of us, only one of us never quits. Only one of us can't be put down. Only one of us doesn't get uh, hit and stunned and, you know, kind of give up on themselves. I may be paraphrasing a little bit, but that's the essentially what he was saying. You think that's a fair, uh, a fair knock on Ellenberger at different points of his career? Hmm. I'm trying to think of one's uh, situations where I've really seen him do that. I mean, can you think of a uh, – I mean, when he got kicked by Wonder Boy, I mean – uh, we've seen many people yeah. knocked out. <laughs> yeah. See, I think it's going to be examples like that because you're, you know, that was one where uh, main event of a fight night card. Uh, you know, Wonder Boy made quick work of him. Uh, and if you had not seen Jake Ellenberger in other fights, maybe you and you had not seen Wonder Boy in other fights for that matter, right. you would think, "Wow, he just just ran over him." But you're right. I mean, that's a that's a common. You know, Wonder Boy's one of those guys that if he's able to implement what he can do that no one else can do, it's gonna look like a a short night. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's amazing that uh, you know Tyron Woodley had as much success as he did against him. So I just. It, it, I mean, I understand why Masvidal may yeah. be saying that because you know he's 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 hyping himself up for well, the and, for the fight. But and a lot of times when you're talking trash, it's great to always have some basis in reality that you're bringing up. Yeah, and you just exaggerate it, or you might you know you know uh, really you know put blow it out of proportion to bring attention to it. But at least it's not an outright lie. It'd be like you know you, you know fighting somebody and completely you know i'm fighting demetrius johnson i'm like well he's not that fast you know that's one of those things where it's like no one's you're not even gonna get any credit for that type of talk and people are just gonna raise their eyebrow and pretty much write off the next few words that come out of your mouth in any way they're like all right well this guy just you know he's just he's just talking there's no basis in reality so that's where i right now when you know mazdaval to say that about uh ellenberger i'm like huh i don't know i mean i i think that just he's a it's a tough division yeah. and he might not have something that um maybe more of a victim of not having one spectacular aspect to his game where you know like for example you know cowboy cerrone you know 
does he have weaknesses and he's been, you know, caught in fights before? Yes, but, you know, he has so many victories because of how great of a striker he is. His versatility, his combinations coming at you. So he possesses something that's like, wow, very few other guys in any weight class really even have his combinations and angles that he this guy throws uh when i think of ellenberger i think of a guy as a very solid fighter all around a really good grappler um you know heavy hands has a good chin has decent cardio um i just don't think there's anything that stands out that wow the guy you know it's damian maya's jujitsu or you know mm-hmm. or anderson silva's elusiveness and counterfighting yeah and so you know the, that's more or less the problem is when you fight in the, the welterweight division, you know, you, you could be a really, really good fighter like both these guys are. And that's, you know, not a knock on you, just, you know, just the, the way it is. I also talked to Jorge Masvidal, so uh, I alternate between Jorge and George. I like Jorge, but a lot of people say George, but Mike Goldberg says Jorge, and uh, Jorge George never corrects me one way or another. Uh, he seems to smile every time I say his name, so I'm just going to keep bouncing back and forth. I like it. I like right. Jorge better. All right. Here's uh, my conversation with uh, Jorge Masvidal. George Masvidal here at uh, Ultimate Fighter Finale Media Day. Uh, George, you got uh, Jake Ellenberger Saturday night. I was just telling Jake, you know, this is one of those fights on these Ultimate Fighter Finale cards where it's like you got the show final, you got the coaches fighting, but it always seems like there's this uh, can't-miss lock cinch feature fight that when you look at on paper, it's like, okay, there's no way these two guys uh, don't put on an exciting fight. fight i think you're in that spot oh you know this is the fight to watch you know you know what's going to happen in in the championship fight uh the coleman event fight's a great fight because you don't really know what's going to happen there it's going to be a good competitive fight i think you know but uh my fight is definitely one to watch not because it's it's going to be competitive but because you know i'm going to hurt somebody yeah you know i'm going to bust this dude up and i'm going to keep busting dudes up and exposing them you know these rankings these numbers by the names don't mean nothing you know and um I'm just excited to bring a lot of violence to this night, you know, on Saturday. Your opponent, Jake Ellenberger, did have a very impressive last outing. He defeated Matt Brown, became the first guy to ever finish Matt, and, and I think some people would compare you and Matt in terms of your, your, your grittiness and your uh, unwillingness to give up. Given all that, did, did that impress you that he was able to finish Matt the way he was? didn't impress me. Um, not for nothing, not, not to knock the dudes, but uh, I think a lot of – Changes to the regime, meaning USADA, have affected several dudes. And uh, I wasn't impressed by the performance, like GSP says, you know. So I'm just, I just want to get in this out and whoop his ass with me. What, uh, uh, what, how, what, I ask uh, for an update around uh, ATT. I know you train there. It's one of the biggest camps going, and uh, there's always big news coming out of there. So what's the uh, – you're, you're one of the veterans around there these days. How are things at ATT? Oh, things are amazing. Um, I'm more like uh, – Beyond the veteran, I'm like, <laughs> I'm the OGest thing over there. You know, I've been there from the start, carrying the flag. Every time I fight, you could be a fan of mine or not, but I fight, man. I don't. I get knocked down. I'm gonna get back up and get in your face. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm there to compete. You know, and shit, I love it over there. You know, we got a lot of new. We, every month we see a good amount of guys. Most of them don't stick. You know, you come from a little gym, and you're the top dog at your gym. You get to our gym. And then in a grappling round, not even talking about sparring, in a grappling class, you might have three or four guys ranked at your weight that are there that day. And then on top of that, you got two All-Americans from college and nobody's ever heard of them fighting, but, man, can they grapple and wrestle their asses off. So a lot of dudes come, they 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 can't hack it, to tell you the truth, you know. We've seen them for like a month or two, and then they're gone forever, you know. And um, it's a, it's been a process at ATC for a very long time. You know, I've been seeing faces coming in and out of there for a very long time. You mentioned carrying the ATT flag. Is that the same flag, or are there different ATT flags that we see fighters uh, carry? The white flag with all the blood, same flag every time. Only one flag. Who has custody of that one? Who's in charge of um, keeping track of that one? That one right there, it's uh, probably Ricardo Laborio has that one, I think, you know. Um, And then there's also a black flag that they ended up making that – had a lot of a shit ton of fights too in the short amount of time that it had because obviously we're a huge gym but the white one has a lot of history behind it. A little uh, phone booth fighting exclusive for you there Frank I have confirmed that it is ATT coach Ricardo Laborio who has custody of the bloody flag uh boy that 
probably is uh, maybe tough to explain to a patrolman if you get pulled over on the way to the fights. <laughs> what a DNA there, huh? I think it would be. Uh, what do you think about uh, Masvidal's uh, comments there? You know, first of all, interesting. He, I, I just kind of uh, perked up my ears just listening back to it, but the USADA reference saying that uh, it's it's altered a lot of guys' abilities. Is he either talking about Matt Brown there or possibly Jake Ellenberger? Because I was asking him about the Matt Brown fight. I guess I should have followed up with the question, but I was asking him about uh, Ellenberger stopping Matt Brown, and he said he thinks that USADA has altered a lot of guys' abilities. Does he mean that – is that a reference to Matt Brown? Did you take yeah. it that way, or was it Ellenberger? I didn't I wasn't understand sure. it either. Yeah. Um, if he had just made the statement separate of that question, I think people would have been like, oh, okay, you're saying that different guys are, you know, having right. success without, you know, really, you know, uh, pinpointing anybody out particularly. But to, to state that about which basically the way he said it alluded to the fact that Matt Brown um, had less success now due to USADA. Um, that's not the first fight Matt Brown's had since Usada's been uh, right. It's just the only time he's been finished. But I've never heard that accusation made about Matt Brown. Yeah, Matt Brown really. I mean, he's a guy that doesn't you know look no like he's taking. I mean, I mean, no. it isn't like all of a sudden he deflated. I mean, you've seen guys before that show up and they're you know now they look a little different. I mean, they, I mean the, the pictures of Vitor Belfort. You know, that's an easy one yeah. to point to. Uh, Alistair Overing, people point at pitches before and after where, you know, you're looking at a drastic percentage of difference in muscle mass. Whereas uh, Matt Brown, as far as I know, I mean, the guy is a pretty lean, lanky welterweight who's always in shape as far as drug abuse. The, um, that would be news to me. I think his the drug that he abuses is nicotine. I think he's always dipping, chew, yeah, yeah. chewing tobacco is what Matt Brown is doing. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, Frank, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the interest of time, I'm going to ask you quickly your thoughts on Conor McGregor uh, being stripped of his featherweight title. By the way, just a quick reminder of everything we were just covering, that the Ultimate Fighter Live finale airs on Fox Sports 1 this Saturday night from the Palms Casino here in Las Vegas. I will be octagon side covering the fight, live tweeting. If you follow me uh, on Twitter, at Richard Hunter, you'll get my live updates. And, and uh, of course, I'll uh, bring the post-fight press conference audio back to phone booth fighting for the first episode of next week. And Frank and I have even and uh, kicked around the idea of uh, maybe doing a little bonus content around the outcome of the fight some point uh, this weekend. So look out for that. All right, Frank. So the news is Conor McGregor is stripped of his featherweight title only a week or so, uh, a couple of weeks after winning the lightweight title. Um, This alters the structure of UFC 207 that is uh, about to take place, I guess, next week in Toronto. You know Daniel Cormier pulled out of that fight with an injury. The light heavyweight champion will not be able to defend against Anthony Rumble Johnson. They did not find Johnson a replacement opponent. He wants to wait for the title shot, at least if he's going to fight at light heavyweight. So they promoted Anthony Pettis versus uh, Max Holloway to the main event, from the co-main event slot. It's going to be a great fight, but not the kind of fight that's going to sell a pay-per-view as a main event. So it was then announced a few days ago that that fight is going to be for the interim featherweight title. There was already somebody wearing the interim featherweight title. His name was Jose Aldo because he beat Frankie Edgar at UFC 200. So they promote Jose Aldo to the undisputed featherweight champion. And they strip Conor McGregor of the title. Now, first of all, I didn't think you could be an undisputed champion if there was an interim guy running around out there. I thought you had to unify in order to be called the undisputed champ. But Aldo, okay, so Aldo. So what do they call the, you don't want to say real champion with a non-interim or... I think you just say featherweight. I think I don't. Think yeah, you, you don't say really say. Him, you right? say he's the yeah. featherweight champion, and you have the interim. Exactly, and so boxing. We probably ask Angelo. Oh god, yeah, boxing is is a, they have a big so many. Yeah, that's the that. you know alphabet but, soup of but, different. <laughs> no, it totally is. But I'm just looking at the way that the UFC has done it historically, and interim titles have been for when someone is hurt. Uh, when someone is, you know, holding out or, or, you know, retired or maybe he's taking a step away from the, the game or whatever, only in the case of Conor McGregor have we seen it to where a healthy champion, when he was a featherweight champion, 
is also seeing an interim title being awarded, but at least in that case, he was busy fighting outside of a weight class. So I've never seen it done exactly for this reason. No, a lot of firsts. Yeah. So, so what I don't get about this, I, you know, I, I get that you're going to have a five round fight now between Holloway and, and Pettis and, and you want something on the line. I mean, I guess that'll sort of help promote the the fight in case the more casual fan may not be real aware of of uh the guys uh, especially uh holloway who's who's a real up-and-comer uh well more than an up-and-comer but hasn't uh you know he's not the household name yet and hasn't been a former champion like uh pettis has been but what i don't get is this aldo after he did not get the fight against Conor McGregor at Madison Square Garden because that's what Aldo wanted. He wanted the featherweight unification fight there. They end up giving it to Eddie Alvarez instead so Conor can fight him for the lightweight title. Aldo was mad. He said he quits. He said he's retired. He said he's done with this whole business. Now, he's since backed off of those comments a little bit, but keep in mind, that's what he said. He hasn't fought since, and he's got a a bad reputation for, you know, pulling out of fights with some frequency. Then you got Conor McGregor, who isn't stepping away, isn't retiring, isn't, all he said is that he's having a kid uh, in 2017, so he's going to have a little paternity leave. The one thing that he said that's raising everybody's eyebrows is he now wants equity in the company. He wants to be an owner. And obviously the the powers that be in the UFC aren't uh, just ready to agree to that just yet. So they announced they're stripping him of the title. Here's my question for you. Would it not make more sense to strip Aldo of the interim title? Because Aldo's the guy who said, I'm done with all this, this sucks, I'm maybe retiring strip Aldo of the title, have Max Holloway and Anthony Pettis fight for Aldo's interim featherweight title, but leave that belt on Conor McGregor because I don't think you've really given McGregor an adequate chance to bounce back and forth and defend both belts if that's all you're concerned about. And the second part of my question to you is, do you think that this is backroom strategy that because McGregor is wanting equity in the company, they went to him, they said, are you sure about this equity business? Because uh, not only are we not going to do that, now we're going to take one of the belts away. I agree with you. I think that uh, I think the scenario you laid out would have been better to strip Aldo because of, uh, you know, he came out and said that, you know, I'm going to retire. I'm not happy with, you know, and yeah. I understand, the, you know, his his anger for not getting that big fight in the Madison Square Garden and, and being able to, uh, you know, have the rematch with uh, Connor would have been huge for him. And, uh, and and you're right. I've seen other guys be inactive for a long time with legitimate reasons as far as an injury or, you know, contract disputes or whatever the case may be. But Connor has been active. He just hasn't been active at 45. So had there not been, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. It doesn't make sense really to strip him because it's like, well, I, I agree that he hasn't fought at 45 for, you know, better part of a year. Um, but he's fought at other weight classes and, you know, and, and I think he had the hiccup with, uh, DS, you know, losing one fight. So he had to bounce back and fight him again. And now, you know, just and historically now becomes the first guy to hold two belts yeah, concurrently. And so the fact that the guy just says he wants to take a little time off, um, I don't know. I mean, how much time did he tell him he was going to take off? I mean, you have a baby here, you know, just until the, the the baby's born until it's maybe a month old. I mean, so what, first three or four months in uh, 2017, the guy could still go fight Memorial Day weekend, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, and you could you have other guys building up uh, to, to, you know, to challenge him. So I don't know. But, I mean, we've never seen a guy try to defend two belts <laughs> on top of it. But uh, – if it wasn't for the fact that he said what he said about, you know, wanting equity in the company, I could see an argument where it's like, well, all they're saying is that basically, look, man, you're holding a whole weight division, you know, the, you know, a uh, featherweight division, uh, basically a uh, ransom here it's because we can't crown a new champ until they fight you. And, you know, you haven't fought since December 13, I think, of uh, 2015 is when he fought Aldo. Oh, right. For the, yeah, last time he was at Featherweight. Right. Yeah. So they're like, well, you know, you have to defend the belt, yeah. you know, uh, and so, uh, you know, 
the fact that he had ambitions to fight other, you know, the division up. It's like, well, you know, that's the price I guess you pay. You have to, you know, you just have to be that much busier. You don't get time off, um, you know, to, to defend two belts concurrently. You know, uh, you see that in boxing, you know, mandatory, you know, challengers times where if guys don't meet the requirements, then the belts are pulled from them. And so, uh, on surface, that's what I would have just assumed that like, okay, well, you know, the guy hasn't fought in a little while. Aldo's fought at that division much more recently, Yeah. but, uh, you know, it would make more sense as far as, you know, uh, popularity of the division and creating more intrigue to have, you're right, pulled the belt from Aldo, even though he has fought more recently, you could have some reasons that sound good on paper to do so and make it to where uh, Pettis and uh, Holloway are fighting for featherweight title. And it brings it like, okay, when our champion comes back off of his leave, we know who he's going to have to face now. It's somebody fresh. Well, I mean, I guess not Max Holloway has a, a win over already, but if Pettis were to win, that makes an extremely intriguing match. Uh, and now it's almost kind of like you lose that and you'd wonder why the ufc would want to lose that possible matchup and storylines that you know especially storylines that involve conor mcgregor who's right you know the the biggest player in the game when it comes to selling pay-per-views and putting people in seats um i really think they don't want to make give them even a small percentage because the more i think about it the ufc um business model has always been very closed book they don't want to, you know, even when this whole thing now with the Players Association, you know, or the, you know, Mixed Martial Arts Association having a union, you have guys sitting there, and, and I've heard that before, too. The UFC only pays out, you know, a very small percentage. Uh, I think one time I even heard someone starting to argue 4%. Now I've heard 8% is what goes to the fighters is what uh, Bjorn, uh, you know, uh, said on the conference on Wednesday. But then in the past, you've had that when that argument's been brought up, Lorenzo, you know, himself has said, no, it's closer to 50%, you know, you know, that what we give out to the fighters. Yeah. Okay, well, open your books. Show mm-hmm. us. Well, we don't do that. We don't open our books ever. So if Connor might think that making two and a half million dollars is phenomenal, but if they give him a percentage of the company, he has access to the books, he might find out that his two and a half million ain't shit. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. like, you're making that much, but I mean, uh, no, you know, how much are the, are the guys really making? And I don't think they want to even begin to open that door as far as, you know, any kind of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Share, um, sharing, uh, corporate share. Uh, Oh, well, they due diligence? No, when you share your, with your company, you uh, share... Uh, oh, uh, like uh, profit sharing. Profit sharing, yeah. thank you. Yeah. I think profit sharing only opens that up because, you know, that's kind of a public, you know, company type of process. And, you know, the UFC has never wanted to be that way. Even when the Fertitas brought Station Casinos public for a little while, they ended up restructuring and doing things to get it back to private. They'd yeah. much rather, you know, don't worry about what we're making, just worry about what you're making. And I, and I you know, sometimes can understand that argument, but at the same time, someone like Connor's like, look, I am obviously, I'm breaking record after record. You know, to, to go to the Madison Square Garden, which has some of the biggest boxing matches in history, and you set the record as a mixed martial artist, like, I don't know if that's been talked about enough. I mean, yeah. who would think... Two years ago, if you told me that a UFC event would destroy a boxing event, a Mike Tyson boxing event at its yeah. heyday, and we're going to outsell them, yeah, Mike Tyson versus Evander Holyfield. I'm like, wait a minute, we're going to beat that? Yep, you're going to smash that record. No, no way. Really? And it's not even going to be a heavyweight. They're going to be lightweights. You're like, that's incredible. That blows my mind. And so... uh you know, you have those fights to put it in perspective. Why I wonder, and I think about it, and I realize that Mayweather's still on a, you know, he's still on a different level himself when it comes to making money. But you know, those guys are making you know forty, fifty, sixty million dollars a fight. So when you still look at Connor, let's say he makes two and a half million, the three and a half million. Let's say Connor made five million dollars. It's all said and done. You look at other people who Connor outsold. Those guys. If you want to talk about, you know, uh, uh, every fight, boxing match ever, besides probably Manny Pacquiao versus Mayweather, Connor's in that conversation with selling power on how many people tuned on to that pay per view, how many people went to the uh, 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 Madison Square Garden. Why didn't Connor get $30 million? Mm-hmm. I mean, are you saying because it paid out to the other fighters? Well, I pretty much guarantee you that all the other fighters on the card. 
you could pay them out in about one point million, you know, five yeah, million. Yeah. Probably covered all their cost. So now, where's Connor's twenty five million dollars? That you know, where's that at? You know, well, somebody pocketed it. You know, the money went somewhere, and um, you know, we'll never be able to know because the UFC obviously doesn't you know negotiate with any kind of uh, clarity or transparency to their. Uh, um, uh, financial doings. Even if you think about it, the more I've thought about, you know, with the players, you know, mixed martial arts fighters association coming forward, which I don't know why anybody besides the UFC would ever have a problem with. Because if you look at any sport that you love here in the U.S., they have a union. If you like baseball, guess what? They're, they're unionized. You like football? There's a players association. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basketball? They have a union, you know. And and so far, I don't think it, it it pulls away from the spectators at all. You know, the fans get to enjoy the sport. If anything, it just means that the athletes are that much more taken care of. Uh, so the only people that would have an issue with this would be, you know, uh, the, the UFC <laughs> uh, having a lack of, uh, you know, losing power. I think is not something most people like to in any. Uh, you know, walk of life like to do. And so um, uh, I'm quite interested to see, uh, you know, on that note, as far as why they cut him, I think that, it, you know, I think that, uh, I think Connor is becoming a problem. Yeah. I think Connor, you know, uh, is, 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 I think the UFC's worst nightmare. And I think they kind of had a taste of that maybe with Tito Ortiz back in 2001. Tito Ortiz started to become bigger than what the UFC was. And um, that created a lot of animosity. I mean, anybody can go through the history of Tito and then Dana, and then they were going to have a boxing match, and you know, Tito showing up to press conferences with Dana's my bitch on his chest, and you know, uh, a lot of angst there back and forth. And basically, I, you know, from what I understood, it derived from the business dealings the two had, you know, the two, uh, you know, the UFC versus Tito. So I think early on they always saw that, like, well, let's make the show bigger than the fighter. Well. Man, uh, they, they kind of did that with Ronda Rousey a little bit, but I think Ronda played ball and was very happy with yeah. what she had. Yeah, she wasn't really a uh, you know uh, an independent individual. She wasn't a rebel. She wasn't trying to buck the system. And, and her defeat kind of took it, it was a built in break from that momentum as yes. well. You know, it doesn't mean she's not gonna obviously she's come back at the end of the year, but it doesn't mean that she can't reclaim all that. But, you know, Connor lost to uh, Nate Diaz and didn't, that didn't help him out in terms of cutting him a financial break. Like you're talking about or getting a break from him. He just stayed bigger than he ever was. Yeah, no, I mean, and I I see people, you know, I go on the media and the different news articles and you'll hear legitimate journalists talking about how he's, you know, the most dangerous guy in the division and the whole UFC, you know, you know, I'm like, wow, well, you know, I don't agree with that. There mm-hmm. are other guys that technically, as far as once the cage door closes are much more dominant, you know, uh, uh, I haven't seen Demetrius Johnson get choked out, you know, yeah. by a, a guy who wasn't a champion, uh, you know, or choked out by anybody for that matter, or even lose to somebody who wasn't a champ. Uh, so, uh, you know, John Jones has never lost a fight except for one that he was disqualified in and that he was handily winning. So as far as that goes, I mean, there are other guys, are, you know, uh, but as far as selling power, John Jones and Demetrius Johnson don't hold a candle to uh, <laughs> Connor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and you're right, him losing. I think that might have scared them a little bit because in the past it's like, well, if you get mouthy, there was always that threat that UFC I think could have. That, well, you know, if you get out of hand, you know, we know how to position the right fighter against you, and you know, we'll, you know, we can get it to where not to where they're going to make you lose, but they can try to make your next fight or put you through the gauntlet to make it as difficult as possible to keep a winning record. And with Connor, that doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, that that had to have been a very sobering moment for them to go. Nothing's going to slow this guy down. And he's really in, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, he is out for himself, uh, you know, rightfully so. I mean, he's trying to make as much money as he possibly can. So I think that uh, (laughs) them stripping of the title kind of shows that they're not as coherent. You know, if anybody thinks that it's we when (laughs) anymore when it comes to UFC and and Connor, I think that uh, there's definitely been a changing of – of a drawing of lines and Connor's on one side, which in the end is only going to benefit the other fighters, whatever he can gain or he goes off of, he drags the rest of the team with him. Ownership says it's called the UFC. Connor McGregor, Frank says it's UF. We, 
There's an Amazon banner at the top of our Facebook page, pinned right up there at the top right now. Frank, will you tell everybody how that works and why it's so important that people go there and click on said Amazon banner to do their holiday shopping? Well, so far, the only cost to you is the extra time besides clicking directly through to Amazon. Instead, just by going through our website and clicking on our banner, that is the only effort that it's going to cost you. That's the price that you'll have to pay. And the reward is that actually Amazon, instead of getting the full amount of money that you spend on your product, you don't spend anything more, but we get a percentage now that we can use towards our show that we've always done. And and so far, neither one of us are making money off of. We just keep reinvesting back into the show to improve quality of the production that we put out there. And if anybody's been watching our Facebook blog or live, we still need help. (laughs) We need to hire a few people now. We do. We do. It's time to... uh, uh, add personnel, but that's the direction we're headed in 2017. So you're absolutely right, Frank. If you just go to our Phone Booth Fighting Facebook page, click on that Amazon banner, takes you right to Amazon. But the difference is any of your purchases, however small or large, on Amazon, uh, will uh, a little small percentage will go to us. Won't cost you anything extra, but it will help financially support the show as uh, we are now an Amazon affiliate. So we'd really appreciate you doing that. Uh, Frank, Frank, one more uh, job on your agenda. Tell everybody how they can find the show on uh, social media. I even I even did, did part of the lifting for you. I told them where the Facebook page is, but go yeah. ahead and reiterate that. Yeah, well, don't that's let me get my you rhythm, man. Yeah, yeah, don't throw me off because yeah. I got Facebook and uh, Instagram. I know right. we're or, uh, looped up into one category where we can find it, phone booth fighting. And yes. I know that uh, my Twitter and Snapchat don't have enough room for the full statement, so we just have phone booth fight. That's how you follow us. All right, it's been a good one tonight. Looking forward to uh, Ultimate Fighter finale Saturday night live here at the Palms. Thanks uh, to the participants uh, who joined us earlier, the audio that uh, you heard. And Frank and I are going to get together uh, post-fight and recap it for you and talk a uh, look ahead to UFC in Toronto. Some of that that we just talked about, that'll be on our next episode, plus just a whole lot more. You know I mean? Last episode was uh, an hour's worth of uh, Liberace and John Holmes talk. So uh, you never know what you're going to get. It's like that uh, box of chocolates that uh, uh, Forrest Gump was always carrying around. All right. For Frank Muir, I'm Richard Hunter. This has been Phone Booth Fighting, and we'll see you next time. Everybody was But they fought with